That hymn is an interesting hymn uh, because it's a great message, but I always think the tune's kind of depressing. It is well. Like, it doesn't sound like it's very well. With my soul. But I think it's one of those hymns that you come to appreciate as you mature in Christ. It, it, and the story has been told many times, the story behind the hymns. I'm not going to go into that today. But, but it is this persistent, unrelenting, unswerving faith. I imagine a, a, a soldier having been through war and he's, he's, he just keeps marching ahead. Uh, and, and some of you, as, have you been through the battles of life? You've been a little bit scarred and you've got a few scars to show for it. You've got a few battle wounds, some of them self-inflicted. And yet you hold on to Christ and you keep saying, It is well. This unrelenting, unyielding faith that will not give up. You hear that in the tune. It's not that everything is love and gumdrops. It's that, that despite all my externals, the internal is good. And if I hold on to Christ, it will remain so. And this morning, I, I wanted to think about that hymn and really ask a question of you. A few weeks ago, I, uh, on a Monday, I believe it was a Monday afternoon, I received a call from a friend who goes here. Now, if you don't know, for a preacher, the text, the call, the email, the Facebook message, you know, Sunday to Monday is always kind of this, ah, what now? That's kind of what it is. And so even though this gentleman's a good friend and, and we're close and all of that, I thought, what now? Especially in 2020, especially in 2021. A lot of people in church leadership find themselves going, what now? So I, I was traveling that day, so I was on Tyler's class trip, and we were on the bus, and cell phone signals were not consistent, and dropped and came and went, and so basically it was a voicemail, return call, it was just phone tag, and we got in really late, and I said, hey, I'm almost off the bus, let me call you, he said, it's fine, don't worry about it, let's talk in the morning, and so then I really went, oh man, he's not even going to let it go, It's, it's something big, you know? So I said, that's fine, you know, we'll, we'll talk in the morning. And, and that morning, I followed up the call. And the call shook me in a good way. Uh, because my friend didn't have an agenda. He didn't say, I didn't like this sermon, I didn't like this message. What do you think about the elders doing this? What about, the, what about that? You know, those are the kind of Sunday to Monday to Tuesday things that church leaders deal with. But no, this, this friend's call was different. It was for a different reason. We chit-chatted friend, in a friendly way, and, and then he's, he just got right to it. He said, hey, I just want to know, how are you 
Are you doing all right? He was asking a question in a different way that the theologian John Wesley would ask of small groups that he would lead. And sometimes small groups can be well-meaning, but they get off track and become a social club, and John Wesley didn't want that to become that. So when he would come into these small groups, and sometimes they were small churches, he, he would simply ask the question, how is it? With your soul. The Apostle John said this. I, I, I think this is where the hymn comes from, but I've never confirmed that. Third John chapter one, there's only one chapter. <laughs> Verse two of third John. Page Page, what page is it? 1308 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along. Third John, right next, almost at the end there of the New Testament, right before Jude, and that precedes Revelation. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. John was saying to Gaius what my friend was saying to me. Is it well with your soul? Church leader George MacDonald uh, was quoted to have said, You do not have a soul. You are a soul. So, let me ask you the question that my friend asked me, the question that John asked to, to Gaius, or, or the, what he wrote to Gaius. I want you to close your eyes. Now, some of you are already there, so I appreciate that. But if you're not there yet, close your eyes. I'm going to get a little pre-sermon nap here. Let me ask you, and I really don't want to make eye contact with anybody, so if you close your eyes, it'll help. How is it with your soul? If you'll just sit with that for just a minute, how is it? With your soul. You may open your eyes. I realize that question can actually be a tough question. It's not meant to be. But it can be. In particular because of the way all of the externals have gone about us in the last year. If you struggle with that question, I I want you to be of good courage. I want you to know uh, that there is hope. If you closed your eyes and, and you answered, I'm discouraged. I've just been gut punched. I'm hurting. My faith is wavering. 
and sad. I want you to go to Psalm chapter 43. Now, the Psalms are, are such a beautiful collection of writings. They are like God's holy playlist. Because there's a psalm for every mood, every character, every, every season that you find yourself in. Psalm 43 is a soul going through a hard time. And in verse 3... We'll start at verse 3 of chapter 43, page 597. For you are the God. I'm I'm sorry. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you down? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. If you are a soul in a season of discouragement, you can have hope. But that hope's not going to come from yourself, and it's not going to come from positive self-talk. It's not going to come from from more money and more stuff and more things. It's not going to come from a bigger house. It's not going to come from all of the places where human beings often look for hope and happiness and fulfillment. It's only going to come to the, the one who created it. The, the, the soul needs its creator to have hope. Maybe you closed your eyes and, and when I said, you know, some of you are already there, maybe you are weary. Maybe you're just tired. There's a contemporary Christian music song that uh, says, I'm, I'm, I'm worn. I'm tired. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just weary. And you can experience that whether you're a young, single mom just struggling to make ends meet and keep your head above water and, and lead your children to Jesus and, and hopefully not bring them there personally. You're just trying to make it, just trying to get it, get through the day. You can be there if you're at the fading season, the, the sunset of your life, and, and you're a widower, widower. Most of your friends have gone on to their reward, and you, you say, well, I'm weary, my body's worn out, I'm, I'm physically tired. Like, how much longer, oh Lord? Maybe you're just weary. I, I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus gives this famous and well-known promise to the weary soul. And I think these people were worn out from having a lot of religion, but still feeling very distant from God. And Jesus says, chapter 11, this is page 1047, We're in verse 28 of chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls.
or my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I love that promise from Jesus. If you are a weary soul, you can find rest. Oh, it, it won't come from physical rest. I mean, that might help. Jesus took naps. You probably should too. But the rest of the soul is different. It's how Jesus could remain asleep while the wind and the waves tossed the boat to and fro. It's how he could take time to pull away from the crowds. It's how he kept going when he was worn out because of his relationship with his Father. And we can have that same relationship through Christ. And maybe you closed your eyes and you said to yourself, this might be my last Sunday here. I am, I just don't belong here. If they knew the sin in my heart, if they knew the sin in my life, God would have no use for me. I'm too far gone. Maybe you're living in sin, or maybe you're living with regret from past sin. If you're a sin-sick soul, I want you to know that, that you can be restored. The well-known 23rd Psalm, David, a shepherd himself, wrote of a gentle shepherd. And he said this, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but... Psalm 23, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's rest. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. If you've ever messed it up, if you're living, if you're sitting there in the pew right now with regret, Whether something you did yesterday or something you did 40 years ago, something you struggle with, you can find restoration. You can have redemption and forgiveness. You can't. God wants that for you. But you have to want that too. You see, the the hope of the soul, the rest of the soul, the, the restoration and the forgiveness of the soul is found in one place, and it's with the one who created it. Turn to Psalm chapter 139, near page 667, if you're following in the Pew Bible. Psalm 139, David is writing this beautiful psalm, and he says, you've searched me and known me. You know, there's no one who knows you like God. Not your spouse, not your best friend, not your parents, not even you know you as well as God does. And he speaks to this creator and he talks about how he's fearfully and wonderfully made. And look what he says, Psalm chapter 139, starting in verse 13. For you, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now, I used to read that and think he was talking about that you know, the, all the stuff on the inside, right? The stuff that surgeons work on. But maybe he is, but maybe he's speaking about the part of the, 
human that makes a human human. The part of you that's more than flesh. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God knew your emotions and your talents and your struggles and your, your, your gifts. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Wonderful are your works. A few weeks ago, I told you Leverings were working in the backyard, and Grace and I were on this one section, and uh, we were taking out the weeds and replacing some mulch, and Grace got down, and she said, Dad, look, a roly-poly. Now, I wouldn't think anything of a roly-poly, but it really is quite a wonderful creation of God, so tiny, so easy to overlook, so insignificant, and yet, I guarantee you, there's, and Grace and I talked about this, probably geniuses who devote their whole lives of study to the intricacies of the roly-poly. Wonderful are your works, from the tiniest microbe and inner workings of the cell to the vast stretches of the universe that we're still trying to fathom. Wonderful are your works. But, But none of those on that spectrum of creation is as great as what he made in Adam and Eve. My soul knows it. Very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, the part of you that was you before there was you. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me were as yet when as yet there was none of them. God knew you. God made you in his image fearfully and wonderfully because you are his handiwork, because you are his masterpiece, you need to know that your soul has immeasurable value. Take anything of value, whether you're talking about gold or silver or oil or Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or whatever, try to take the, take the value of your house, take the value of your portfolio. All of those things are quantifiable, measurable. But there are some things, a, a special few, that are priceless. They are beyond measure. Your soul is one of those maybe the most valuable thing God has created. I want to turn to a story from the book of Mark, page 1083, if you care to follow along. Mark chapter 8. We're not going to read the whole part, but just a part uh, of the story. Verse 34 is where we'll begin. Jesus is going to foretell his death, his resurrection. And then the crowd comes and he calls them, verse 34, calling the crowd to him and his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake And the Gospels will save it. 
Verse 38. I'm sorry, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? The question, of course, is rhetorical, and perhaps you would ask, what is a rhetorical question? And it's a question that it gives, a speaker gives, and he answers it by himself, or the answer is implied. There is nothing that you can give in exchange for your soul. Now, you might give something in exchange for your soul, but it will not be a good trade. Like Esau giving up a blessing for a bowl of stew, We think, Esau, you're so foolish, you could have had it all. And you gave it up for one moment, one meal. And maybe he would indict us. You you could have had it all, but you gave it up. You see, nothing is worth forfeiting your soul, and yet many do. Ever wonder why that is? Why give up something so worthless? Well, the answer is, they don't know the value. You've heard stories of people selling Rembrandts at a garage sale for a few dollars. Something that's worth millions of dollars, it will end up in a a priceless collection given away for a pittance. And why they do that? Because they really wanted to sell something of of such great value for such a little price? No, because they didn't know what they had. And sometimes it's the same with you and I. We forget the value of what we have. Jesus says, you could have all of the castles. You could have all of the gold. You could have all of the oil. You could have the entire world with its near immeasurable worth itself. And you would not want to trade it for the value of one solitary soul. So don't sell yourself short. Don't make a bad trade. Don't go down the path of Esau and folly. Carl Spurgeon said, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it so fiercely. Indeed. Your soul has a measurable worth and Sometimes it's easy to forget that familiarity breeds contempt and we don't often know the value of that which we hold on to every day. Let me ask you a question this morning. When it comes to your soul, are you neglecting your soul? Or are you nurturing it? You see, your soul is a very important thing, but it's not an urgent thing. And oftentimes in life, the urgent things overtake the important things. And and Jesus said it's of great worth, immeasurable worth. You you can't even take one soul and trade it for the whole value of the world. And it's truly important. So the question is, are you nurturing it or are you neglecting it? I was trying to think how to drive this point home a little bit, and I thought I would 
give you a peek inside the Levering's household. About 16 years ago, uh, we brought home baby Tyler from the hospital. And as at Northside is prone to do, people bring food and gifts and things for your firstborn. And, and a good f- friends of ours at the time uh, brought some gifts. And along with the gifts, they brought this tiny little plant. It's actually an ivy. Now, it's not this plant because, <laughs> but it kind of looked like that. And it was in a little pot and, and uh, it was just, oh, that's nice, you know. And, you know, it's not really significant. It's not much to, to look at. But for some reason, I thought that, you know, it was kind of cool. We got it around the age of Tyler. And now we were embarking on being new parents and the responsibilities and all of that. And for some reason, we just kept it. The plant, not Tyler. I mean, we, we love him. <laughs> we just kept this, this plant. Now, this little ivy doesn't require much, okay? It's not, it's not something that requires the expertise of a Debbie Groves or a Jesse Neisler to keep alive. You have to do a few things to keep it going. It requires a little nurture. And so, Christy went about the process of kind of nurturing this little plant. And every day... Or every other day, she'd put a little water in, make sure it was in a, in a window where the sun got to it. I tried to keep it as the kids grew, you know, out of the way of the children that might knock it over. And she kind of nurtured it, and, and she didn't do anything significant. It was just small things done consistently over time where she just tended to it and nurtured it. You want to know what it looks like now, don't you? After about 16 years of tending to it and watering it, making sure it had plenty of sunlight, this ivy is, you know, pretty soon I'm going to have to buy a house with another bedroom. It just kind of goes everywhere. In fact, I asked Christy about using this plant for an illustration. She actually trimmed a lot of it just because it was so monstrous. I nicknamed it Seymour. If you're born in the 80s, you get that joke. Um, But you understand that the growth that took place in this plant from here to here took a few things. Number one, it took small actions done Consistently. Number two, it took time. And number three, it took intentionality. The same is true, by the way, with your soul as you nurture it, as you go along. This is one of the trimmings from the plant. Christy told me when you trim it, you actually just put it in water until it sprouts roots, and then you replant it. And she's taken some and given them to other people. But to do that, she had to do small, consistent actions every day for 16 years. 
with your soul, a lot of times we think, you know, really got to get my spiritual life in order. This year's going to be a year to do it. Bible reading, day one, January one, do it. We're going to do it. We're all in together. And then, <laughs> and then you know, we're go- going to Genesis. We're exhausted by Exodus. We're lost in Leviticus. We're numb by num- num- numbers. And, and we're done by Deuteronomy. We, we, but, but, but for the people who grow, they're in the Word consistently, regularly, every day. That's why the daily Bible reading is important, because it's nurturing your soul. And I'm not giving you a guilt trip if you've missed a couple of days. I'm saying daily Bible reading is an important thing, not an urgent thing. And if you're not careful, a season of Netflix or Hulu or Disney+, Plus, which all seem so urgent, will overtake what's important. And Jesus says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul. You need to water. You need to, to keep your prayer life. And I don't mean you have to pray for hours a day, but, but you have to keep a connection with your Creator every day to share with Him what's on your soul. You need to grow it in worship. I mean, when, you, when you come to worship, you're growing your soul. You're approaching the one who's almighty and all-powerful and awesome. The one who created you and made you. You need to root it deeply in fellowship with God and with God's people. This is why the ladies have such a wonderful opportunity next weekend. And there's some ladies, you're not going, you don't have your ticket, and you just think, well, we do it every year, it's not a big deal. Don't miss this you have an opportunity to fellowship with sisters in Christ, hundreds, maybe over a thousand, that you've not seen in two years. And such an opportunity would be good for your soul. But it's an important thing, not an urgent thing. And so you can overlook it and skip it. A couple of months we'll have family camp, a little over a month, I guess, and you can say, well, you know, kids are grown, and eh, we're kind of past that. But you're missing an opportunity to grow your roots and grow your soul. You see, you've got a, que- a question every single day. Will I nurture my soul, or will I neglect my soul? And, of course, you know the preacher is going to encourage you to grow your soul. To grow your soul by growing closer to the one who made it. Sometimes we look around in the church and we see giants of faith. We see people like Cindy Tandy, Steve Tandy. We see our elders, we see their wives. And we think, how in the world did they grow to that level? And the answer is the same. They all too started here. And they just made intentional, daily commitments to nurture the soul until they reached a point where they could even trim a little of their life and give that to someone else. I hope you'll take seriously the importance of nurturing your soul. Let's look at one final story in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is the story of a man who had everything... And yet, was a fool.
Luke chapter 12, page 1118, verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This man had everything, but Jesus said, You're neglecting your soul. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, Aha, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods. You've laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. And be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me ask you the question as we close this morning the question that the rich man did not ask of himself as he looked at his portfolio and his commodities and his possessions and his barns and his grain and everything he had needed, but he neglected his soul. And that, according to Jesus, was a grave error. May we not follow in his path. How is it, dear friend, with your soul? You do not have a soul, you are a soul. And someday your precious soul will meet with its creator. You and I have a rendezvous with deity. My question is for you, are you ready? Are you ready when your soul is demanded of you? There's only one way to be well in your soul, and it's by knowing the Savior. If you don't know him, if you haven't put him on in baptism, if you haven't confessed his name as Lord, if you haven't uh, began walking in the walk of faith, you can do that beginning this very, very morning. Just a little bit of water and the soul takes root in Jesus. And if you are in Christ, I want to encourage you to nurture that precious soul of yours. Whether you're watching online or you're here, may you not neglect your soul. This morning, I ask you, if you have a need, once you go to the back, I want you to meet with one of our shepherds. I'll be back there. You can meet with me. We'll pray together. We'll be glad to help you in any way. Whatever need you might have this morning, we bid you to respond as together we stand and sing.